But that being said, I do have other things I need to do this year. So I'm going to pencil that in for like next year at the earliest. For the love of everything unholy, will you stop doing things? Welcome to Going Pros, a podcast about metaphorically taking off your shoes at the end of a very, very, very long day. I'm CZ Tax, I'm a writer of sci-fi and fantasy, and I'm seriously considering retiring to become an ornamental hermit. And I'm A.D. Ellicott, I'm a functional human being, and also a fantasy and romance writer, and I promise those things are not at all contradictory. Are you sure? Are you really sure about that? Look, I have many, many times passed the are you a robot test. You mean a capture? But no, that's a test. Okay, well, you know what? Now that we're both allegedly recovered from NaNoWriMo and have had an awful lot of sleeping in the last, you know, couple days, couple weeks, however, I don't know how long it's been. I've lost track of linear time completely. Anyway, the point is, how are you doing, Addie? Well, I got here. I believe that might be what today's youth call relatable content. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've had about a week, I guess, of of distance from NaNoWriMo and and our respective projects. And now we're looking at the final chapter of No Plot, No Problem by Chris Beatty, which is all about the post-NaNoWriMo bit once you've drunk your champagne, uh, whether of victory or defeat. Uh, Either way, drink the champagne. It does help. Uh, And the first bit of advice in this final chapter is to decide with full knowledge that the rewriting and editing process will be extremely arduous, whether you like your project enough to continue with it. So how are you feeling about your project specifically? So I'm not sure if this is something I am going to end up taking all the way through the novel development process, uh, but it is something I do want to keep working on. So there were bits of it I really liked, like some key scenes that I was finally able to get out of my brain and onto the page. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about the world I was trying to build. Uh, So I definitely want to dig in a little bit deeper to that. Uh, But also I'd say only about 10% of what I actually wrote is salvageable. Well, by NaNoWriMo standards, that's actually very good. There's at least one guest writer in No Plot, No Problem, uh, Julia Crouch, who says that a good ratio is about 5% usable material to 95% crap. So that's actually (laughs) 10% solid. To be fair, though, uh, so one of the suggestions in this chapter is give it time. So give it about six weeks like enough time for the details to get fuzzy Mm. uh, before you go back and read it. And I haven't actually done that bit yet, so I could be a little bit optimistic. Uh, What about you? I mean, I am optimistic. Like, I I genuinely think there's some good stuff in there and probably most of it even is, if not salvageable, then certainly was written with purpose and helped me in clarifying – you know, my ideas about the story. So even if it doesn't end up in a final version, I'm still happy I wrote it. That being said, I've done this before, so I kind of know how it goes a little better. Um, One thing that's important for me personally as someone with a lousy memory and a high degree of distractibility is to keep the momentum going on the draft. So even though I hit 50,000 words, I have not actually reached the end of this story. And I might have to keep plugging away at the actual writing bit for a while before I actually get into the editing phase. 
But that being said, I do have other things I need to do this year. So I'm going to pencil that in for like next year at the earliest. For the love of everything unholy, will you stop doing things? Alas, the next bit of advice is about the editing process, which in fact does require doing yet more things. I don't know what you want me to do here, Addy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. This is the chapter where the inner editor gets to come back home. Are you excited to have your inner editor back, Addy? I know you missed her so much while she was gone. I don't know about you, uh, but I tried to send my inner editor off to a nice retreat, uh, but they sort of escaped and just started hanging around in my driveway giving me pathetic looks all month oh no oh so i'm glad we're putting an end to that the first task that beta assigns our inner editors once they get home is to go through and write out synopses of each chapter so you get this overview of your plot so hang on wasn't that what you were doing at the start of each of your chapters anyway you did your little sketches and then you fleshed them out and stuff like you might you might have a leg up on this yeah but also like this is normally what i do before i even started drafting the novel ha uh the reason i've been struggling so much with the advice in this book is because as a plotter the writing process here is ass backwards that's uh yeah i've i think that's uh been a consistent theme of your feedback on this book throughout the month yeah that doesn't surprise me out of curiosity i know that you know you haven't done a huge amount of editing and particularly not of novels before but what does the first step in your editing process look like if it's not you know the synopsis thing so for my short stories my usual first step is Uh, Actually, something that gets a brief mention in this chapter, but it's to go through and, as I'm reading, note down all the issues I come across in a spreadsheet, Mm -hmm. and I don't fix them as I'm going. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, once I'm done, I put up sort of vaguely arbitrary numbers behind each of these problems, depending on how big of an issue it is. Right. So if you have to rewrite an entire character's backstory, that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. But character changing eye color between scenes is a minor problem. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. And then you just go with the biggest issue first and work your way down. Yeah. For me, I usually start by going control F and finding all my random square brackets and asterisk notes to myself and reading over those to get a sense of like the patterns of changes, whether they're like mostly minor aesthetic stuff or whether I think there's like some structural heavy lifting that needs to happen. Uh, I actually really want to try that spreadsheet thing once I'm done, once I get to the end of the first draft. Like I think that would actually be really helpful for me. The other thing that I find really consistently is that my first several chapters can usually be condensed down dramatically. Uh, They tend to meander a bit. I'm still sort of finding my footing in terms of the character voices and the pacing and and, and sort of feeling my way into it. Uh, And it does suck to watch my word count plummet so precipitously, but it's almost always for the best. I can kind of just mash sort of three to five first chapters together and really condense those events down into one single chapter or sometimes even replace them with something else entirely, depending on, on how much I need to change. I think the next bit of editing advice can help decide sort of which of those scenes and characters you have to cut. It's also something I consider pretty standard plotting advice. Again, the stuff I would usually do before I started writing. Right. Um, But it's to make sure that all your characters have a through line 
So they've got their own goals in the story. They've got something that's preventing them from achieving that goal. Uh, And then at the end, that goal gets resolved. So either they achieve it or they don't. And the scenes should be serving one of those through lines. So if you can explain that for each of your characters and each of your scenes, then they can have a place in the story. Yeah, I think that's not bad advice. But that being said, you and I are both coming at this from the perspective of genre fiction. So sci-fi and fantasy for me and fantasy and romance for you. And genre fiction in general tends to expect a really clear plot structure most of the time. Not universally, but like that's certainly what you see in most uh, genre fiction. Um, For people who are out there writing like literary fiction, things can get a lot fuzzier and weirder. Uh, The rules are a lot bendier. That being said, I still don't recommend having characters wandering in and out all willy-nilly. you got to round them up like livestock. Show them who's boss. Are you some kind of cowboy in this metaphor? I mean, right now I feel like a really elderly sheepdog. You know what? Checks out. You have brief bouts of boundless energy, back problems, and truly pathetic puppy dog eyes. The back problems are particularly vicious after a month hunched over my laptop, I must say. (laughs) Yeah, my remedial massage therapist was absolutely gleeful when I told her what I would be doing to my body this month. (laughs) Um, I think I just secured her next six months of income with my decision to do NaNoWriMo. Yeah, honestly, my physiotherapist is getting a dedication if this novel ever gets published. It's the (laughs) only way to be fair. Anyway, the next steps that get vaguely outlined are that you need to look at fixing your pacing, which like pacing is kind of notoriously extremely difficult to figure out or even explain meaningfully. So... Let's skim over that because we could easily talk about pacing for like an hour without coming to a single goddamn conclusion. Heaven forfend, we talk aimlessly for an hour. That never happens. Never, not even one time. Uh, And then the book gets into fine-tuning your prose. And a lot of this advice is pretty generic. I won't go into too much detail because if you've ever even dipped your toe into writing advice, taken a writing course, read one writing advice book, the odds are pretty good you've heard this advice. If you haven't, go ahead and read this book. Uh, we're not going to tell you everything, uh, but was there anything in this chapter that struck you as being, I don't know, fresh advice to you, Annie? Anything that stood out? Yeah, so one bit of advice that was new to me was using beta readers to read through the synopsis you write before you go through the arduous rewriting process and invest all that time. Mm, it's occurring to me that not everyone will know what a beta reader is, so I might just define that. Do you think that's a good idea? Probably. Probably, yeah. So a beta reader is, you'll hear about this a lot in lots of different writing spaces. It's basically someone you know who can act as your sample audience. So for example, if you're writing romanticy, you want someone who reads a lot of romanticy and has what you would consider to be good taste. They're specifically going to read your, in this case, synopsis or potentially your manuscript from the perspective of a reader, not a fellow writer. And that means that they're usually going to be correct if they spot a problem, but they may not be right about what the solutions are because, again, they're coming at it from the reading perspective, not the writing perspective. So it's always good to take that feedback with a grain of salt, but it's also really useful. Yeah, so I was familiar with the idea of going to a beta reader with a good, solid draft, but I do really like the idea of going to beta readers earlier, like with just the synopsis, and getting them to point out issues way earlier in the process so you haven't 
like put a lot of effort into drafting this character who it turns out nobody likes. Yeah, totally. I mean, the rewriting process can be really rough. So you want someone who likes you enough to read a whole manuscript at least once or twice, but not someone who likes you so much that they find it hard to tell you that your work sucks sometimes and point out problems. I met a lot of my beta readers through online communities and you and I are both members of a local specfit guild that has like regular critique groups and stuff like that, which is, that's a little bit different from beta reading because we are all approaching them as sort of fellow writers, but it's definitely important to have someone around who can cheerlead you a bit, even if they're telling you about problems in your work, because this can also take a pretty long time, depending on what else you've got going on and and how much work that first draft needs. Yeah, so in this chapter, Beatty discusses deciding whether this is a story you want to keep going with, uh, and he estimates that the rewriting and editing process takes about a year, maybe half of that if you put in lots of late nights and weekends. And you are currently well into rewrites for The Scarlet Vase, so is that about the timeline you've been working on? Mm. Yes and no. Uh, So once I finished the first draft of The Scarlet Vase, I kind of ignored it for about six months because I was lazy. So yeah, lazy, like editing an anthology, publishing a short story, organizing a convention and having surgery. That kind of lazy. Okay, quiet you. No need to call me out like this. Anyway, now that I'm back into it, I reckon it's been two or three months of couple of hours a day of working on it like pretty consistently uh sometimes I'm rewriting whole sections and replacing them completely sometimes I'm just fine-tuning and sometimes like the sections are good but I might need to rearrange the order a little bit or make little tweaks to accommodate for like other changes I've made for consistency right now I'm kind of going through like a, a sort of final pass to make sure that I haven't changed a character's name halfway through the manuscript and then next month or possibly the month after that I don't know how time works anymore anyway it's going off to the critique group uh, and they will brutalize it and give me a whole new round of things to fix which will probably take another couple months on top of that I reckon so about 12 months for a normal person but about six months for you yes we have established that I am not a human person uh that's yeah sounds about right yes Anyway, um, (laughs) unfortunately, though, like rewriting isn't even the end of the process. Like one thing I really emphatically want to not talk about and in fact gloss over completely is where this chapter gets into stuff like getting an agent and getting professionally published. And there's actually kind of two, maybe three reasons for that. Um, First of all, because talking about publishing pathways is kind of a whole entire thing on its own. Second of all, because the specific pathway that Beatty's talking about in No Plot, No Problem is very US-centric. Publishing pathways can be really different for us out here in the Commonwealth or in countries outside of the US in general. And third of all, because neither of our nano novels are anywhere near ready for that. That is (laughs) very much a future problem. I agree. Let's save that for another time. Yes, I think it will save our minds <laughs> uh, and our brains, our, our brains and our spirits. Our sanity. Sanity, yes, that's the one. Our operating code, because we're both humans. Yes, definitely. Very human. So my overall impression of this chapter was that it has some very high-level summaries of all the things that happen after the first draft, like editing and publishing. But if you wanted to learn about those things, this book wouldn't be the go-to for that advice. I'd want an entire book on editing or publishing or whatever. Yeah, like, to be fair to Beatty, this is definitely, like, a book for the entry-level writer. This is not meant to be the complete guide to completing a whole novel perfectly. 
And there is like, you could do an entire university course just on editing or just on publishing. And in fact, many people do do a university course just on those things. But that being said, I think it does serve as a really good overview for first-time novelists of what the rest of the process might look like to sort of start them on looking for more resources in specific areas as they need them. And I guess we'll just have to dig deeper into books that cover those areas next year. I guess we will. Uh, Overall, I think this book is a pretty good resource for people who really want to know what to expect from NaNoWriMo before they try it, but also not a good resource at all because everyone's NaNoWriMo is uniquely chaotic and frustrating and delightful and weird in totally individual ways. What do you reckon, Addie? Yeah, so as laid out in this podcast, my NaNoWriMo experience did not follow like the, the progression laid out in this book. No, no, it did not. Uh, I didn't notice that. Yes. And as I've discussed at length, I'm pretty sure the process laid out in this book is not for me. That's still valuable information to have about yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing is reading this chapter actually kind of put the whole book in perspective uh, because it made me realize that the entire thing is more of what I'd consider the zero draft rather than the first draft. Now, just to stop you there for a second, just to completely cut you off at the knees while you've got your momentum going, for those who do not know, would you please define the difference between a zero draft versus a first draft? So the first draft is, at least in my mind when you are trying to get out like a mostly cohesive story. Incorrect completely, but go on. (laughs) In my mind. In your mind, yes. Um, I disagree fundamentally, but we'll get into that in another episode. (laughs) The zero draft is like the concept draft. Like, is there a story here rather than draft ones this is what I think the story is right okay that makes yeah that makes more sense to me I just I reserve the right for my first drafts to be absolute incoherent piles of shit that need to be rearranged at length they're really more like dumping a collection of puzzle pieces onto a page and then second draft is where I start putting those pieces together to make a picture that someone else can make sense of yeah yeah no uh sorry I I fully interrupted you there uh you were talking about how you realize that this entire thing made you consider what you wrote as a zero draft rather than the first draft. Yes. Well, that made me put the book in a new context. Mm. Um, I'd say I've picked some really valuable skills up from this. Yeah. And if I recast it into like my process, mm. they are useful brainstorming and plotting skills rather than useful drafting skills. Awesome. Though there are yeah. plenty of also useful drafting skills in there. I think I'll probably hold my plot a little bit more lightly going forward. Hmm. Like I won't overinvest and be so committed and rigid about what I plot in advance because I did develop a little bit of confidence in being able to do some things on the fly. And I will note that you did in fact actually draft parts of this story. Whereas I know that you have previously plotted out novels and plotted out novels and (laughs) plotted out novels and not actually written the draft. Plenty, Plenty of those things I did draft some of it but (laughs) allegedly and my other reflection is overall that even when it was painful and it was like a technique that I would not use going forward Mm. I think forcing myself for like a couple of weeks to try something new did improve my writing even if it's not something I would do going forward so Mm. it gave me it gave me the tolerance to like just push forward and keep going it gave me the 
to bring back a phrase we have heard earlier, exuberant imperfection. Ugh. Tolerance for exuberant imperfection. I can't believe you brought that back. My goodness. Well, you know what? Actually, maybe the real secret of this particular book is not to try to apply it in a nightmarishly tight time frame. I guess we'll never know. So now what? So... As I've said uh, last week, yes, uh, entirely independent of the specific advice in this book, I found doing the podcast to be really valuable for my writing. Ha ha! Success! <laughs> I tricked you into writing more stuff. You did. <laughs> you tricked me into writing more things. Yes. But I had to write mm. in order to have something to discuss. And I also had to like think critically about what I was writing and how I was writing. So I would be keen to continue doing this, though maybe with a book that's a little less intense next time. Actually, on that note, I was going through my big stack of unread or partially read or read once and immediately forgotten writing advice books, and I came across a few that look good, as well as a few that look completely awful but might be fun to talk about. And I actually have one in particular that kind of consistently crops up in the online lists of good books about writing. Uh, And that one is Bird by Bird, Some Instructions on Writing and Life by Anne Lamott. Have you heard of this book? Uh, I actually own this book, so... Oh, yep, yep. yep, The Lifeline Book Fair strikes again. Could have predicted that, yes. But I have only read the first chapter also. Oh, excellent. Okay, so let me read from the Goodreads summary. Anne Lamott returns to offer us a new gift, a step-by-step guide on how to write and how to manage the writer's life. From getting started with short assignments through shitty first drafts, character, plot, dialogue, all the way from false starts to how do you know when you're done, Lamott encourages, instructs, and inspires. She discusses writer's block, writing groups, and publication. Bracingly honest, she is also one of the funniest people alive. So this sounds pretty good for us, right? It does. I do want to read something that's about a more holistic, sustainable writing life, which it sounds like this might do, Mm. maybe that's a good note to start the new year on. I think let's take at least the rest of December to read the book, make some notes, figure out what we actually want to say about it. And then in January, we can start actually recording again once we are, in theory, refreshed, rested, recharged from a, you know, nice and, and peaceful new year. As if you've ever rested and recharged a day in your life. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I happen to know that you're spending your holidays with family. Fair point. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, you know what? Actually, now that uh, we have uh, lovingly roasted each other. Mm-hmm. As ever. That, that does feel like it might be the end of the whole goddamn episode. What do you think? I reckon that might be the end of a whole goddamn season. I am so proud of us. God, why? (laughs) Well, uh, to our hypothetical listeners, uh, Merry Christmas, Hach Hanukkah Sameach, Blessed Yule, and or Happy New Year, depending on your vibes. Be kind to your wrists, be kind to your back, and be kind to each other. And if you have anything left in the tank by now, use it to keep writing. Prose is hosted by A.D. Ellicott and C.Z. Tax. Our intro and outro music is by Nathan J. Phillips. 
For more information on the podcast, including where to find us on social media, visit cztax.com slash podcast or check the episode notes. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Ngunnawal people.